what these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by Sean Little. He's on Twitter and in the Action Network app, at Chicago Flow. This is your Best Bets episode for Friday, February 2nd, in the association. We'll give you best bets for the games. Got some good ones lined up for you. We'll also talk about Joel Embiid's injury, what that means for the MVP race, as well as Sixers Futures, how to bet that. Uh, and we'll get into a little bit of trade talk before we get you set for the weekend. My man Chicago Flow is uh, is is at the studio on location right here. Uh, Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Yeah, I was at the Knicks Pacers game, so I just walked across the street, figured I'd record over here before I headed home. It was an awesome game at the Garden. The the playoffs cannot start soon enough. The the place was absolutely up. Up and up and up. Jalen Brunson continues to put together ridiculous performances on a nightly basis. The Garden's always great. The Garden, when the Knicks like are actually really good, is like a. It's different. It's it's another level. So I'm excited for them to see that in fourteen the and three against the spread. The last seventeen, they Killing have it. been just unbelievable. It. So unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we'll do best bets. We're also going to get to uh, that other talk. We want to let you know, download the Action Network app. I say it every episode because it's that important. You're going to get a lot of our pro signals. You're going to get great content. I've got a column in there breaking down all the stuff we'll talk about with Embiid. Uh, I'm going to have a trade intel column that's going to get you the latest on what's going on with what I've heard around the association. Some juicy stuff I got today uh, will be up on the uh, trade column on tomorrow on Friday. So download that Action Network app will be today. You listen to this, so download that. Also check out YouTube.com slash The Action Network. We're making plans for live shows. Uh, we're going to have a chance for you guys to join the show. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good time. So make sure to subscribe to The Action Network on YouTube. All right, let's do it, Sean. What are your two best bets for Friday? Give me the Orlando Magic plus seven versus the Timberwolves, and I'm going to lay it with the Clippers minus 11 and a half in Detroit. Okay, lay in the wood. I like it. Uh, I've got the Pelicans minus six and a half versus the San Antonio Spurs, and I've got Raptors Rockets over 228 and a half. Let's talk about the Timberwolves game because, like, man, this one's tough. Um, this one's really tough. I've got strong trends on both sides. My number projects a little bit on the Magic because my numbers still really like Orlando. I think this is going to be a really low-scoring game, which I think leads very much into your favor. But give me your cap for why you like the Magic plus seven. Yeah, that's a part of the cap. Magic plus seven against the Timberwolves here. The game total is 212 and a half. And I believe that's maybe even a touch high in this spot. That's so I'm always going to take almost three possession number when the spread is as low as 212 and a half. Also, since Fraud Wagner has been back, they've settled in as of late. The first two couple games when he came back were rocky, but they've now covered in three straight. These two teams played a few weeks ago. 
and the Timberwolves rolled. But no Franz Wagner, no Wendell Carter Jr. in that game. The Magic on the road have been undervalued all year long, 16 and 10 against the spread on the road. This is just going to be a grinded out game. And I also, as much as I worry about Orlando being able to score, I also worry about just Minnesota, especially down the stretch offensively, how they're going to be able to put it in the hole against a really good Magic squad. So I think points are going to be at a tip-top premium, inflated premium in this matchup. So I'm going to take the seven in a very low-scoring game, and hopefully we can hang on down the down the stretch there in this matchup. I just don't think there's going to be enough points scored, so I'll take the seven in this matchup. And Franz is back. The playmaker is back. That's a massive get for Orlando as they start to close this first half going into the break. So I looked at uh, this number just now, and I want to see, okay, look, I've gotten so used to using net rating, which is, you know, pace adjusted in all of yeah. my analysis um, that I've, I, I honestly forget that like points per game is like a thing, right? So, but the systems that I use can only really use points per game. So I did look at the Wolves at home versus teams that allow less than 112. Um, so basically, if it's great defensive team versus great defensive team, that's lean towards Minnesota. They are six and zero straight up, five and one ATS versus teams that allow fewer than 112 points. The Magic allow 110.9. So tough one on that one. But look, this number I think is high, right? And I think with Orlando in particular, it is difficult to get a sense of who and what they are based off of the fact that they've had the injuries that they did. They were without Wendell Carter Jr. for for you know over a month. They missed Franz Wagner for weeks. Like this team, I think when it's more complete, gets a lot better. Like they're a team that really needs all those guys because they need an offensive scoring punch. Now they've been sliding pretty continuously. Um, and we'll see what, you know, this is, I think, a big test for them on the road versus a really great defense, you know, top of the Western Conference, number one defense in the league. But I think you are right that like Orlando is going to get up and like they will put Jalen Suggs. Um, probably he'll spend a little, at least a little bit of time on Ant, even though Ant's got a size advantage there. Um, they do have the bigs to match up with uh, Minnesota. That's huge. Like just having the bigs to match Bobby up with so. them um, is going to be huge. It's going to be interesting to see what Orlando does at the deadline, by the way, sneak peek, uh, two little letters that I think could wind up mattering for the magic K and L. So put that together for who might be in their backcourt down the line. But yeah, I like this pick. I can't go with it just because I don't, I don't like, I, I really don't want to fade Minnesota at home. Like they're just yeah. they're they're so good, but I, I don't mind the pick at all. Uh, for me, Pelicans minus six and a half. So my my numbers actually like uh, San Antonio here. <laughs> my my numbers have also gotten fucking wrecked when San Antonio is at home this season. They're one of the worst teams uh, for my model to actually try and get a handle on the projection. Meanwhile, I looked at San Antonio when they face a team that is over 500, it is an absolute disaster at home. Um, they have been ruined versus teams that are over 500 when they play them at home. The Spurs are actually 0-6 straight up and 0-5-1 versus teams over 500 at home. It's been a miserable stretch for them at home versus these types of teams. Pelicans coming off of a really good win. Now, this number is adjusted because, you know, Zion was missed the, the game last game. We did that for Betstream. And there's a possibility he's out again here, which I totally get. I still can't get here. Like, the Spurs have played better, but then kind of, like, started to tail off a little bit. So I can't get to a spot where 
even though my numbers are like, oh no, there's like value here. I look at this and I go, this is just slightly over two possessions. That's not enough. The Pelicans are a good team. The Pelicans in general tend to handle not handle their business is tough. I don't want them versus a middling team, but I don't mind taking them versus an outright bad team, and they're a bad team. Zion's questionable. Larry Nance is questionable. Herbert Jones missed the last game is questionable. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Zion plays. I'll probably get value on it. I will say, like, if Zion doesn't play, I'm totally comfortable with this. If Zion plays, I like it a little less. Like, I just do. I like it a little less. Things get clunky. That worked really well for them the other night versus a tough – like, a team that defends the paint really well in Houston – got wrecked because they play Brandon Ingram, high pick and roll spread. And that worked for them. Zion plays, gets a little muddier inside. And that's maybe somewhere where Victor Wembanyama might be able to, to get some blocks and control the paint. But I'll go ahead and I'll lay the six and a half uh, based off of the fact that like my model likes it, but my model sucks at predicting Spurs games. And that trend with San Antonio is really poor versus teams over 500. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I was looking at this spot as well. I also think just overall, you laid it out perfectly with what the Pelicans want to do when Zion's not on the floor. They're just going to spread it, run high pick and roll with B.I. And then that's when Valanchunas gets a lot more looks. And he offensively is effective when he does get the ball. He doesn't get the ball very much when it comes down to Zion and B.I. when they're all on the floor. I was looking at this spot because I thought that that Rockets win, for whatever reason as well, when the Rockets play well I have a lot of confidence in them and I'm like that's a quality win but then when you start to look at the whole scope it's like is that that good of a win for the Pelicans against the Rockets they played really well though without Zion on the floor and like we said spread them out and then Valanciunas was getting touches and he could control the paint in a lot of different ways so I was looking at this spot as well for the Pelicans I don't trust the Pelicans versus a good team but they do seem to beat up on the the mediocre to bottom feeders and that's what the Spurs are right now could Zion go and then this change it a bit? Yes, but I actually lean more to them being more versatile and having more options on offense when Zion's on the floor. So I still wouldn't hate it if Zion was in the fold. Here are the numbers when San Antonio is at home facing a team uh, over 500. They are 0-6 and, and 1-5 and against the spread. The opponents are 5-1 and one this season. On in San Antonio when they're over 500, the also the over is five and one because the Spurs have given up 128.3 per game in those contests. So team total over for Pelicans probably a pretty strong play too if you're putting together a same game parlay. Uh, let's bounce back to Clippers minus ten and a half. Not a lot to lay here, so I'm a little. It's a an interesting number. Uh, tell me what yeah. your cap is for Clippers as they lay ten and a half versus the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, 10 and a half, 11 and a half. I was seeing in the market to get the best number you can, but I do like it up to 11 and a half here for the Clippers. I just believe the Clippers are taking every single game seriously, no matter what the contest is and who it's against. If you go back and look at their body of work the last 10, 12 games, they've been handling business in, in every way, shape, or form. If you go back to the Cavaliers game, this is what I, this is, was a, a little bit of a turning point for me for the Clippers overall. They're on the road, they've been on the road. They're going against a really physical Cavs team. They don't really have it. They're losing the entire game. But toward down the stretch, they really tried to go after it and still compete and try to get the win. They didn't end up coming back and pulling it off. But they are competing at a different level than I've ever seen them compete. And Kawhi is, is the head of the snake for them. So I have no doubt that they're going to go to Detroit, bury these guys like they've been burying even good teams here over the last 10, 12 games. And I don't, I don't expect them. I don't expect this to be 
a dull spot like it maybe would be in the past. Shout out Russell Westbrook and the rest of the game for coming off the bench unit as well. I, I like the Clippers here to continue to, to stay rolling and send a message to the rest of the league that we damn near might be the best team in the NBA because we see what the Boston Celtics tend to do on a night-to-night basis. It's a curious line. I'm a little yeah. surprised it's not higher, um, but I will say, like, I've only got it 10.4. Like, I've I've only got 10.4. I've got it even with if you adjust if you give Detroit average home court, they're actually a little bit better than the average team at home. If you give them average home court, it winds up. I've only got I've still got it 12. So there's value there. Um, Kate, it looks like he's gonna play in this one, so that's maybe like an adjustment on the number. I, I still yeah, that's probably like, why it's hanging. hanging yeah, a I'm, little, still, I'm yeah. still kind of like I don't know. Like I, the only reason I'm not betting this is because I'm like, why isn't this 13? Like this, this should be like 12 and a half, 13. Um, but maybe it's just like yeah. I will say Detroit's been hard to kind of cap lately, and they've been better ATS because they're playing like they're they weren't going to play like garbage the whole time, and so they're starting to get a little bit better. So I understand uh, why that is. By the way, I do want to mention this. So this is away game for the Clippers, number one, two, three, four, five. And they are still on the road for Miami, Atlanta this weekend. Okay. It's the Hawks, literally the worst team in ATS history. And I get it. I will be on Atlanta on Monday. That last, (laughs) I looked at that last game before you go home when you are on, when it's another conference and it's a road trip of more than six games, like that last one, that's this one you circle, and it's a back-to-back spot. So we won't get a good line there, but I will tell you, like, Atlanta's going to win that game, and uh, also I'll be on them on Monday for yeah. that game, just a little bit of a heads-up. Clippers 8-4 Clippers and four against the spread over their last 12, but that's a great spot look-ahead for that Matt just laid out. Sometimes you do have to look four, five, three, three, four games in advance and try to say, hey, what would I bet this at what number, depending on obviously a ton of injuries or however else it's going to so, go. Also, think about this. You want the spot of all spots. Friday night in Detroit. Play this game, win. Fly to Miami. Get in at one. Go to South Beach. Spend that night. Spend all day Saturday in Miami. Yeah. Uh, now, it's they're, they live in L.A., so it's not like they're hurting. Um, but they're on a road trip. Then they've got a early tip six o'clock Eastern on Saturday versus the heat. Play that game. Fly to Atlanta. The other spot in the NBA. So yeah, that, that Atlanta game, I'm, I'm betting the Hawks and I'm going down with the ship on Monday. That's my best bet. I'll just go ahead and tell you that's my best bet for Monday. (laughs) Yeah, and, I, and I've seen it with my own two eyes, too, at the Garden. I, I just saw the Nuggets come to town on the, on the last game of a road trip. They got destroyed. Destroyed. Just was like yeah. ready to go home. Then the exact same thing happened with Utah the other night. They came to the Garden. It was a, their sixth game of their road trip, and they got destroyed. They were just tired and ready to go home. So, yeah, keep an eye on the last game of road trips as they close out. The different conference thing is interesting as well because seedings – not as locked in, not as familiar. So I agree with that spot. Uh, look ahead for my for Atlanta and the Clippers here. Finally, Raptors, Rockets over 228.5. I've got this projected uh, solidly up near 238. I think this is a way too low of a number. Plus the Raptors on the road this season, 15-9 and nine to the over at 63%, including 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 
Six of their last eight games have gone over on the road. Houston coming off of a miserable offensive performance versus the Pelicans. They could not hit water if they fell out of a boat and they got rebounded into oblivion. Uh, Jalen Green is playing really good basketball right now, getting himself out of trade discussions. He's played so well. And I expect that to continue here versus a Raptors team that without OG Anobi and Pascal Siakam, guess what? Like This is no longer like that rough and tumble you know, gritty, grinded out, play super physical Raptors team. It's a new coach, and now it's a new system, and now it's new players, and it's quickly, and it's Barrett, and it's Scotty, and they're running up and down, and they're just, they look a lot different now. So I'll take the over 228 and a half. Any reason you didn't just look at the Raptors team total there? So I think for me, it's, I think there is a, a, the Rockets at home are a good defensive team. Um, I think for me, it's that, I think yeah, the pace of this game. Any team total in general could have been the Rockets team total as well, coming off yeah. the bounce back spot over the poor. Yeah, and also, well, here's the other thing: is I think the pace is going to pick up too. Like I think it's like I want the combined total because it might just wind up being like who has more transition threes. Rockets kind of get away from from process the other night, and they're heading in that direction in general. I'll be interested to see what they're doing. They didn't make a trade, by the way, which um, was a minor one. They traded Victor Oladipo in some seconds for Stephen Adams, um, who neither of those guys will play this year. It was kind of interesting from the perspective of uh, it looks a lot like Memphis did this to get under the apron and save some cash. It opens up a little bit, a few more opportunities. I've been surprised. I figured that Memphis would just be like chilling, but they've actually been looking around the trade market pretty actively, even with Jaw uh, out. They still are kind of like poking around to see if they can get something long term. Rockets, Tim McMahon reported, are just really big on Steven Adams. It makes a lot of sense. Put him behind Shangoon. He'll play great there. Should be a good fit. Um, I do want to go over our best bets real quick. So Sean's got Magic plus seven versus the Wolves. Clippers minus ten and a half versus the Pistons. I'm on Pelicans minus six and a half versus the Spurs. And Raptors Rockets over 228 and a half. Um, all right. So Joel Embiid. After, um, look, I'm going to cop here. I gave him eternal shit for what happened on Saturday with the Nuggets because he was not on the injury report and he said he was going to play. And all of a sudden he's not, he doesn't play. Right. And it's like, Oh, he's got knee soreness. Okay. So, and it was like, Oh, he's got knee soreness, but the knee soreness was in the opposite one of the one that he banged knees in in Indiana. That's meaningful because the one that he banged knees on in Indiana is the one that ultimately he wound up. Jonathan Kaminga fell on the left knee is what happened is he fell on the Jonathan Kaminga fell on the left knee. Now, Embiid looked like garbage in that game versus the Warriors. So I want to be very clear. Like, Embiid was hurt, shouldn't have played in the Nuggets game, shouldn't have played in the Blazers game, didn't play in either of those, shouldn't have played in the Warriors game. The Athletic reported that he felt, like, a lot of pressure to do it. I'll just say this, like, if you're in that kind of shape, like, I want to be clear on this. I've talked about playing hurt versus injured. If you can't move, you can't play. Like, no no one's going to hold, like, no one's going to hold that against you. Like everyone knows that he's got knee issues and he's got those kind of things. I'm never, ever going to be like a guy should play when he's, when he is legitimately and serious and that level of hurt. Like, I'm never going to say that. Do guys try and gut it out a lot? Yeah. And like, I appreciate the fact that Embiid was trying to gut it out, but then he was trying to gut it out. And I appreciate that from him. Kaminga falls on the knee, suffers a meniscus injury. Now the first report came from the athletic from Shams Terrania who jumped the gun and he said they tore it. Now. Okay. The only way that this is like that this that there's like they're in this position of, of looking at what they're going to do with it over the weekend is if it's damaged enough to be able to legitimately probably call it a tear, but the team's not calling it that. And they're going to assess it over the weekend and then make a call. 
a lot of context needs to be placed on this injury, not for like the conversation about MB duck and whatever. That's all done. Like he's hurt. The question here is about like how how do you approach it as a better? All right. There's three scenarios. And I wrote, I lay this out in the article. The first scenario is that he just rests it and then he plays again this season. If you're like, that's crazy, he tore his meniscus. He did this in 2021. He tore it in game four versus the Wizards and then played in game one versus the Hawks. So, like, with his knees, it is entirely possible that he just, like, that he sits on this and he spends six six to eight weeks out and then returns, which would still get him back sometime in March. Like, get him ready for the playoff run probably pick up a few more games and keep him out of the play in tournament. And then they, and then he's back for the playoffs. The second option is a meniscus removal. Okay. You can either repair it or you can remove it. If they opt to remove it, he can be back in six weeks. I imagine it's probably eight to 10 because it's Embiid. Let's assume that like they are able to stay in the play in tournament or play a playoff race without Embiid then you're looking at a spot where he could come back and again compete in the playoffs like championship futures are live there if he opts for a repair that's it that's the rest of the season he's not coming back this year it's months like that will be months and he won't come back in the middle of a playoff run so they're analyzing over the weekend whether the 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 decision of one of those three that they're going to make i'm not saying that those are the three that are on the table because they may just be like yeah it has to have surgery you're either going to repair it or remove it or it may be like surgery or not, no surgery. But that differentiation is really important. If the doctors are like, hey, it's bad enough and we want to make sure that you're able to play long term, we've got to have to, like, we need to repair this so that you can play on it. I will say removing it used to be kind of a doom sentence for players in that it's like, yeah, you can get back, but like it's going to take five years off of your career. Do you know who had both meniscus removed? Chris Paul. Still going. Now, Chris is a 200-pound point guard and not a 300-pound center. So, like, 280-pound <laughs> yeah. center. So that's a big differential here. The, the reason I'm trying to, to say all this, especially on a betting podcast, is this. If on Monday they announce that he's going to rest it and play again, or if on Monday they announce that he is going to have it removed and will be back in six weeks, wait 10 days and then bet the Sixers Eastern Conference title features. That is, like... I will be, I will, it will be in the app. It doesn't matter how bad they look. As long as there is a scenario where it is reasonable to believe that they can get back into playoff positioning, like it is going to be a great buy opportunity. If the, if the Sixers slide to the six seed, that is awesome for them. Like for your future value. Yes. It's harder for you to go on the road for three in a row. Yes. No team has won the title with lower than a third seed since 2000. And only 10 teams have won their conference with lower than a third seed. But this would be an exception to that rule. This would be one of those exceptions because it would be one of those guys. I've just talked a lot, but I needed to get that information out there. What's your read on the scenarios I've kind of laid out and how you're going to approach things with it with the Sixers from a future standpoint, Sean? Yeah, let's go all the way back to the beginning about the story of ducking and was he hurt? Was he not hurt? Now look. A lot of this falls on the Sixers for me. The reason this stuff is even a question is because we don't have any transparency until 45 minutes before the game starts. If if we would have come out and talked about, hey, Embiid is injured, 
he's working through some things six, seven hours before tip, a lot of stuff wouldn't be up for interpretation. Once you start taking guys from not on the list to completely scratched, that's when people start running all over the internet with theories and thoughts and dodging and this and that. So I want to start there with all we're looking for is betters. It's transparency on what's going on. If the guy is hurt, then he's hurt. Fine. Let's continue to move. So I hated to see Embiid go out there and, and try to push through because yeah. he, hey, because the athletic, the athletic comes out and says he felt pressure to play. I mean, of, of course he felt pressure because now people are saying that he didn't want to play against the best center in the world and he's ducking it. Of course, any any competitor is going to try to push through that yeah. and play hurt or not. So I, I want to stop you right there. There's a couple of things here. Um, one. Like Denver fans, the fans are going to fan. Okay. And if you want to prove that, you can look at my mentions from Sixers fans. Um, but like <laughs> folks have used like the word like coward. That's bullshit. No. Yeah. Okay. These are professionals. All right. I don't think I, I have never stated that Embiid is afraid of playing Jokic. That's ridiculous. It's just, it's, he he's whipped his ass in Philly. I think it's a good matchup for the Sixers versus that team. Um, did I think that he avoided that he was in the pattern of avoiding tougher matchups on the road? Yeah. Cause I'd looked at the data and been like, wait, he didn't play versus the Celtics. He didn't play versus yeah. the wolves. He didn't play versus the heat. He doesn't play versus Denver. He hasn't played since 2019. I looked at those trends and was like, to me, this is indicative of a pattern. And a lot of Sixers folks were like, but if you go back to last year, but I don't think he did this last year. I was concerned about it this year, but also I was wrong. Like I'm, I hate in this culture that it's like, I was yeah, wrong. But, yeah. And look, if Joel Embiid is checking my Twitter or reading my columns and making medical decisions based off of it, we have a much larger problem. Yeah. Don't do that. But yeah. also, we know that that's not reasonable. There are systems in place to judge players' health, and ultimately, they're going to make a call. And if Embiid, and like, Embiid made the call to play versus the Warriors – it is not on the media to protect him from himself. It is on the media to comment. Well, it's on the Sixers, though. It's part of that's on the Sixers. That's what I'm getting at. Is okay. So my, hey. here's my thing. Here's my thing with the Sixers side of it. Okay, is that in my opinion, we this is how, and this is one of those things, right? Um, in sports, if I ask uh, a casual fan, and I'm like, who decides on when the star player comes in or out? What do you think the, ca the casual fan's going to say? The casual like fan? Rotations. Like lineups, rotations, going to suck. Yeah, the star player? The coach is what they're going to say. They're oh. like, oh, the coach makes those calls. <laughs> right? Yeah. The, coach, the coach is the one that puts guys in and out. But if you cover the NBA, you know these star players are like, no, I want the 12-minute rotation, then I'll sit down and come back in. The coach is like, got it, whatever you yeah. say. And it's the same thing with the injury stuff where it's like, most of these guys have their own doctors. I'm not denying that, like, this was a massive fuck-up. I don't know who. I don't know if this was, like, because I honestly think that what I probably got wrong the most was that Embiid was adamant about playing, that he had said he was going to play to Ramona Shelburne. He had told everyone he was going to play. He fully intended to play when he left Indiana, and then the knee swelled up. It swelled up on Saturday. He was too hurt to go, and the training staff was like, you cannot do this. You are too hurt. And he was mad and frustrated about it. 
And that's how this wound up going on there. So he like, was just I think buying I as much flip. time as he possibly could yeah. to try to I think play. I got and it then flipped him. where I thought that he was not on the injury report and then wasn't feeling at his best. And Maxie and, and uh, um, Toby were out. So he was like, I'll bail. Wasn't that. I think it was that he legitimately did try to do everything because he felt that pressure. And look, that sucks. And like, I don't feel great. I don't feel great about that. You think I feel great about that? You know, yeah. but it does take, I think, a certain understanding of those types of things. But you are right that from the betting perspective, this transparency stuff happens in all sports and it's a huge problem. If you're going to partner with the league, if you're going to get like my thing is always if you don't want to provide transparency as a league, don't take the money and then you don't have to. But you definitely want that betting money. You want that sports book money. So you got to no, be no. able to have that. All right. No, um, no. Do you think I want to go back to the original question? What do you think about yeah. Sixers futures? Yeah, Sixers futures are now really interesting because yeah we're gonna see a lot of value once they look horrendous and once we get a real timetable on Embiid on the injury overall Embiid should do whatever is best for Embiid and Embiid only he has to remove the pressure from any fans the pressure from the Philadelphia 76ers all of that I've seen this too many times where a guy has tried to rush back for the club and tried to push it for the team and the fans, and it just doesn't work out. A great example of a guy going under the knife and cutting a meniscus, and he was never been the same as Tom Lord, Robert Williams. They were in the playoffs. He got got his meniscus removed to push and be there for the Celtics and potentially try to win the title when he probably should have sat, got it repaired, and took the long route. He's never been the same since, and he was an absolute monster. He He never moved as well after that. Another example you could go to, it's like Isaiah Thomas. There's a lot of different guys. The only guy I've seen recently that I can think off the top of my head, I believe Katie's another one, but Russell Westbrook got his meniscus removed and came right back in six weeks and looked like nothing happened. Yeah. It just doesn't happen, especially for bigger guys. So uh, so I think I think I do think look, I think part of this too is that if you don't think that there are conversations about how long a player is going to play, you're wrong. Like this is part of it is like some guys are going to have shorter time spans than others based off of their injury histories. And B's injury history is long. And so like, if, if he decides that it's like, I want to maximize right now, we have the team. I respect that. Like whatever he decides, anything MB does from an injury perspective. Yeah. It's his decision across the board, but you also laid out the option when he did injure the meniscus and he rested and came back. What happened in that Atlanta series? Yeah. They lost. Yeah. He didn't play very well. Yep. He kind of got killed, right? So yep. that that's the other option. I, I think you just got to look out for yourself and try to get back instead of rushing and start thinking big picture. Of course, I'm not going to be upset if Embiid's like, yeah, I want to get it cut. I think we have a real shot to win the East here and potentially win the title. Do what you got to do. But just whatever is the is the best thing for Embiid with no outside noise is the route he should go for his health and his long-term future and his career. Final point on the actual market. I do agree with you, Matt. They are potentially going to fall off a cliff here. They they need the big fella down there. And yep. you may be able to get a really good price depending on what happens with Embiid and which route he goes. And take a grain of salt with whatever timetable is reported as well. Potentially to see. is this? I will say this, Matt. Is this one of those spots where we're nibbling on a CLV sandwich. If he if he comes back with 
two weeks left in the regular season and they're going to be a five? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's because I think they are legitimate. Like I would want them. I legitimately would want them at the, at the price that they would be at if it's one Boston for Cleveland. Love that. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Like I, I get Nick Nurse versus JB Bickerstaff and Joe Missoula. Boston's good. They're gonna have to go through them at some point. I always say you should try and do it earlier. So yeah. um and if you're asking this, if you're like, well, wait, if he's gonna be back, why would the price get better? I we saw this, if you're a longtime listener, we saw this in 2022. Steph had an ankle injury and they were like, the the word out of Golden State was like, Yeah, he's gonna miss most of the rest of the regular season, but he'll be back for the playoffs. And the market was basically like, well, they keep losing and stuff's still out. So we got to drag them down. And yeah. like Raheem and I were like, okay, we're, I'm, I'm taking the Warriors at 10. I'm taking the Warriors at 12. Like if you're going to keep mispricing them, because I was like, Steph's going to be back. Now it's a fair argument of they might miss the playoffs entirely because they might just fall out. If Embiid's, if Embiid, if they can't get Embiid back before like the last two weeks of the season, is there a point in it? Can he ramp up to playoff speed in two weeks? Probably not, right? There's all these types of questions that go along with it. Um, so, like, there's a lot to figure out. But what I am going to say is, like, if there is a – if this is not the worst-case scenario, I will be looking for Sixers spots. It's not now. you got to wait for those losses because the market will still kind of be like, well, what if they, like, won? And then we would just keep them where they are because it's like Embiid's going to come back and they're still where they are. They have to lose the games to impact the power rating that will eventually impact their liabilities and it'll impact the Eastern Conference odds. So that's the way they kind of play it. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got to talk MVP. He was the, he was the the front runner. He was the the leader in that clubhouse. Jokic is now a minus number at some at some books. Um, yeah, I've seen one forty five at BetMGM before the Knicks game started. Look, I, I've I've done a bunch of parlays with Jokic early in the season. I feel okay about my position on him. I I've, I'm not adding more Shea Gillis Alexander. I think I'm maxed on what I'm going to bet on on Shea. But if you're like I'm going to bet one guy. Not only is it Shea, like, let me just go through, like, the, the three big reasons why. Doesn't have any sort of the baggage that we dealt with last year with Impact. You could just vote for this new, fresh face, awesome player. Look at how good OKC is. Incredible two-way player. Like, he checks all the boxes, okay? Two, Jokic sat in the game versus the Thunder on Wednesday with back tightness, okay? And when the Thunder won that game, they went up 3-1 and clinched tiebreaker. That significantly adds to their capacity to win the number one seed because it also means that they get another win versus the division. They are like 10 and two versus the division. They have a good chance of finishing 14 and two versus division opponents and the Wolves will not catch them. And guess what? They and the Wolves split. So as a result of that, if the Thunder get a better division record, they would win it. Why am I talking about these division records? That's the number one tiebreaker in multi-team ties and head-to-head if they're in the same division. 
you got to settle who the division winner is. So if it's Wolves, Nuggets, Thunder, and they're all tied, OKC, if they take care of business versus Utah and Portland, OKC gets the one. And now you have Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, fresh face, awesome stats, two-way player on the number one team in the Western Conference with the roster with the youngest average age. All of that combined to me feels like there's really good value on him. I can't get to a place where I'm like, they're going to give it to Tatum. Nobody thinks of him in that tier. Maybe that's unfair. Nobody thinks of Tatum in that tier, no matter how good the Celtics are. I think there's a little value on Giannis at a big number, because I think that we've talked about this. I think there's a chance that the Bucks go wild over the last part of the season. They've lost two in a row, even better. Get me on board. They look better to me under Doc Rivers. They'll figure this out. I think there's a little bit of Giannis value. I don't see the Mavs making a run for the four, so I don't think Luka's in. Kawhi, maybe, but I looked at the stats tonight, and it's like 25-6-4 on great efficiency on a loaded team. Is Kawhi awesome? Yes. Is he going to be voted MVP over Nikola Jokic? No. So even though there's a little bit of value there, to me, as much as I keep coming back to it, Shea Gillis Alexander at a plus number, still the best value on the board. Yeah, it is the best value on the board for the all the reasons you laid out. And we are now hitting the time period where when we're talking about Jokic and expected plus minus and the numbers, we could give him MVP every year. We're in the LeBron phase of Jokic of where this guy's the most valuable player. It just depends on if we want to give him the MVP. Now, the the freshest of faces is SGA and where they're going to end up in the West. Tiebreakers or not, I believe they're going to finish top two in the West. So if you're a voter and we know, and then Denver has a possibility of finishing three, potentially four in the West. When you, when you go, go through everybody else that's up there, Minnesota included. So I do agree with you that the best value on the board is SGA. And I also believe that right now at BetMGM, Jokic is minus 145. I believe that number is going to come down. So if you're looking at Jokic, I believe you can wait and get a better number there. But this SGA number, I I expect to hang around where it's at now. But if it doesn't hang, I don't expect it to get longer. I expect it to get shorter. Talk about some uh, trade stuff real quick before we get out of here. So there was reports this week about the Houston Rockets and Brooklyn Nets talking for Mikhail Bridges, which is one of the reasons why the move for Adams was interesting. Um, reportedly, multiple first-round picks, a bunch of first-round picks, including some of their own, because uh, that's the thing is like the Nets would very much like their picks back from Houston. <laughs> What's weird, though, is the Nets are, the, I, in my opinion, the Nets are the ones sharing a lot of this information about what they've offered or what they've been offered for McHale. And they're also saying they're not looking to move McHale. And I'm like, so why are you setting a market? That is, And also, there are no more valuable picks than your own that you can get back. Like, just not having to worry about that knife to your throat with yeah. the picks that you sent for James Harden would be a big get, get there. Um, there were other young players involved in the Houston talks that have not been reported. I'll say that. Um, so, like, Significant names were mentioned in those conversations with the Nets, and the Nets still didn't bite. Utah is another team that's called about about Bridges. Like a bunch of teams have called about Bridges, and yet for some reason, like the Nets are like, man, you wouldn't believe what they offer for Mikhail Bridges. So are you trading him? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
So that's a that's a that's a weird one. Um, yeah. What I will say is, I think there is a good chance that the that the the Nets are going to make a trade that winds up getting them additions that make them better. Um, I have a lot of Nets overs. I took alts like early on in the season before their December crash. I'm actually feeling okay about them. I think there's a possibility they finish pretty strong, finish around 500. So some of the live uh, win total markets that are still open, I still think there's a little bit of value on Brooklyn because I don't think they're trading bridges. And I do think they're looking to trade Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Spencer Dinwiddie, and they'll get players. I think they won't just get picks. I think they'll also get players that will help them actually win games going forward. Can bridges be a two, Matt, for a really, really good team? Yeah, he can definitely play. He can play it too, I think. Yep. So if he can be Robin, then he's extremely valuable to a lot more options than I believe a lot of people think. The Also, are we ever going to talk about Mikel and where he wants to play? We are kind of moving Mikel around like he's Brogdon. I think right? a lot of like, it is that... Oh, just Mikel, we'll just move him where, wherever he wants to go. Yeah. But if we're talking about him being a legitimate number two, on a, a conference finals level team, then shouldn't we be talking to Mikel potentially a bit about where he wants to go? Do you, you get what I'm, you get what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's what's interesting here is that Mikhail is in that spot where he's highly valued, but he doesn't. He's not a superstar, so right. he's not like able to throw his weight around yet. Um, which is like, honestly, it's like, who doesn't want that, right? Like a number two level player yeah. that doesn't come with a headache. That's the dream. Um, yeah. I, I think Brooklyn, from everything I've heard, Brooklyn legitimately feels that he's that guy. That doesn't mean they wouldn't move him if there was like a deal that completely resets the franchise and gives them an easier direction. But it would, I think it would take a lot to get them on board. Like it would be a, it would be one of those deals where we're like, what? What you traded? What for Mikael Bridges? For Mikael Bridges, uh, yeah. an OG Ananobi last year level of deal versus OG Ananobi this year level of deal. Um, interesting name I heard. This is another one to kind of keep in mind. The Wolves are still trying to get better. Uh, I've heard that they're in on Tyus Jones, and so Love like that. they could want now. I think they're still light on assets. The Wizards want first for all their guys. Gafford, uh, multiple first for Kuz. Obvious if they were even to open that conversation would start with the first Tyus Jones. I want a first four too. Um, I, the Wolves right now, as far as I know, are only offering seconds, but that's like an interesting kind of dynamic here where it's like, man, the fact that Minnesota is trying to get better is really encouraging from the perspective of like, they don't need a lot. And if they could just like add a few more dudes, it's like, all right, they got a lot of options on a team that's already so good and maybe shore up a little bit of the guard play. That'd be really good for them, especially with Conley's age and injuries. Yeah, and he he's a guard that can score. We just talked about Minnesota potentially having a struggle, especially coming down the stretch with how they're going to get buckets, even with Ant-Man pulling the, the, the final string. So, yeah, I'd love a Tyus Jones addition on that side. Um, There's this uh, Washington. Washington, the Bulls, all just a disaster when it comes to just figuring out the roster and what they want to do with it. So, yeah, they, they probably should reset it and just try your best to get as much as you can for whoever you want to relinquish. Tyus Jones, I believe, is worth a one. So I would give up a one for Tyus, especially if you're in a position to to make some real noise like Minnesota is. Knicks are still big game fishing. That's all I hear is they're still big game fishing. 
I do hear that they're probably the leader in the clubhouse for Bruce Brown. I've heard that the Lakers are no longer considered to be um, a likely landing spot. And if kind of, it's kind of like New York is ver- like pretty firmly in the driver's seat if he gets moved, which I think would be a great pickup for them. It's just like another tough, another tough dude to add to a roster of tough dudes. Um, so that one's interesting. But like, for look, what? I- just to give up, just like for a, a little Fournier dump, a little Fournier yeah. swap? Yeah, li- if, if little. That's the now. If that's the case, that is such a massive get for the Knicks because that then leaves you, whenever you decide to make it, whether it be this year or the summer or next year at the deadline, still a full chamber to to go after potentially. We won't name any names, but potentially that final piece, right? Yeah. yeah. If you could swap out Fournier, who's sitting on the bench making nineteen and a half and swap him for a potentially right around the same number guy in Bruce Brown that would fit on the Knicks very well coming off the bench and contribute. That would be a home run for the Knicks to continue to add to add folks. So a big fish for the Knicks right now with the situation they're in would be Bruce Brown. That'd be a big get. That's going to do it for Buckets. Thanks for joining us. We're back on Monday with the future Jays, uh, Joe and Jim. We'll do that. Break down all that. And then we'll get you set for the week. Next week, as we head into... The final week before the trade deadline. It's already here. We're with the end. We're recording this on Thursday, so we're within twenty. We're within a week of uh, of the trade deadline. We'll keep you updated on all those things and in the Action Network app. Thanks for joining us. My thanks to Sean Little at Chicago Flow. My thanks to David Payne, our producer, as well as Hutton Jackson, the crew over on the video side, getting this up on YouTube.com slash the Action Network. Appreciate you guys being with us. We'll see you guys again next time. Till then, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.